Well, good morning. Let me invite you to grab a Bible and open up to Matthew chapter 16 this morning. It's where we're going to be in just a few minutes. And if you don't own a Bible, there's one in the seat pocket in front of you. That's our gift to you. We'd love for you to take that. There'll be a few words on the screen in just a few minutes. And uh, Matthew 16 is where we're going to land. If you are a if you're a guest and this is your very first time with us at Tri-Cities, we want to say welcome. We are honored that you'd be here. Uh, we're kind of in between series as a church. We just came out of a 31-day prayer journey in January, and we are headed toward an Abide series in a few weeks, and then really can't wait till the month of March. We're going to start a series through the book of Acts. It's really going to carry us through the end of the year as we go verse by verse through God's Word. Uh, in the middle of all that, this morning is a little bit different. Uh, this morning is kind of what we're calling a let's be real day or kind of a kind of let's take a look at where we are as a church and some things that we see God doing in the life of our church, some areas that we know we need to grow in the life of our church and we're going to do that. I'm going to walk through God's word a few minutes for us and then a couple other elders are going to join me on stage for what we call an elder conversation and we're going to talk through where we are as a church and where we want to grow in areas of the church this morning. So hopefully that will be helpful to you this morning. Now to set all this up, uh, Matthew 16, let me, let me begin with a, a quick illustration. Uh, my family, maybe like many of you here, uh, we really like going to Myrtle Beach. Anybody enjoy Myrtle Beach, right? You're, you're afraid to say yes because... It's the Redneck Riviera, right? I know that. But my family enjoys that, and we go there maybe once or twice a year. And I can remember back, I have uh, five children, and I can remember back a few years ago when my kids discovered for the first time a phenomenon at Myrtle Beach that they didn't even know existed. You're going, oh man, what in the world could that be at Myrtle Beach? It could be just about anything. But in particular, uh, they were out playing in the waves, and my kids love playing in the waves, and Jennifer, my wife, we were kind of sitting on the beach, you know, catching some rays and looking out at our kids, and, and we observed something that was happening that they didn't even know was happening. It was a little bit windy that day, and the, the tide was up, and the, and the waves were pretty fierce, and they were just enjoying the waves, and we observed something called undertow happening. You, you know what undertow is? It's this subtle drift that when you're in the water and you're playing around, you don't even realize, but this undertow is pulling you down the beach and you are just playing you're distracting you don't even realize it's happening so we kind of sit there my wife and I and we just let it happen you know they just kept drifting down and drifting down and drifting down we didn't know how long they would go and we as parents were kind of debating well should we should we do something or should we just let them continue to drift should we should we cry out to them from the from the beach and say hey you're drifting and you don't even know it or should we just wait till one of them realizes, you know, and they look up to see the hotel and it's not there and they're not where they thought they were and they're not where they want to be and they have to get out and they have to have a change of course in their lives. So we just kind of let it continue on and finally went down and called out, you're drifting, you're drifting, and they righted their course. But the point of that whole analogy is really to set up where we're going this morning as a church and that's a phenomenon called drift. There's a reality in my life and your life and there's a reality in the life of any church like ours that there's a tendency, there's a propensity for us to drift. 
to, to drift away from those things that are most important and maybe we replace them with really good things but not the most important things. There's a tendency in all of us, me included, because of my flesh, because of the culture around us that's constantly pulling pulling us away from God's word, from pulling us away from a desire for Christ's likeness, pulling us away from fellowship that we must have with one another. We don't have to ask, okay, is there a drift going on? We just have to acknowledge it and say, okay, how do we battle this drift? Because I drift and you drift and we drift and that's just a reality. I think one of the most dangerous things about this phenomenon called drift in my life and your life and our life as a church is when we're content drifting. And maybe we don't even realize we're drifting. We're simply not where we want to be and we're not pursuing the things that matter. And we're just kind of drifting along and maybe hoping somebody will love us enough to say, Hey, you're drifting and you don't even realize it. So this morning for us as a church, with kind of all that in mind, we're going we're to have a focused Sunday or a let's be real Sunday and ask ourselves as a church family, hey, are we, are we pursuing those things as a church family that God and His Word is calling us to pursue? And what does that look like? celebrate how we see that happening in some ways and at the same time asking ourselves okay are we becoming who God is calling us to become are we are we progressing toward Christ's likeness because here's what can happen in all our lives we can get so caught up in a drift or we can be so content in a drift we can focus our eyes on the wrong things we forget the massive gap in our lives between where we are and the Lord Jesus Christ and who he's calling us to be we as your elders and we as a church for ourselves and for you, I just say it this way, we want more for our church. We want us to continue to press on and desire more of Jesus and more of his word and more of his joy and more of his purpose and more of that mission he has for us. So sometimes in the life of a church, we need a Sunday like today to be a, if you will, a be real Sunday with one another. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 16 and we're going to lay down some biblical principles and then we're going to dialogue as a few of your elders for just a few minutes. So hopefully it'll be encouraging and challenging for you as a church family this morning. So Matthew 16, what's going on here? Well, let me set the stage. Uh, there's a conversation happening between Jesus and his disciples. And we're walking along the road and they're headed north in Israel to an area called Caesarea Philippi and Jesus, as he does, he just drops a question right in the middle of his disciples. A very challenging question. And we find it in verse 13. He says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Talking about himself. Who do people say that I am? What's the chatter, if you will? Jesus wasn't having an identity crisis. He was asking this for an instructional moment in the life of his disciples. He says, who do people say that I am? And they answer and they say, okay, well, some are saying, verse 14, you're John the Baptist. Others are saying, Elijah. 
Others are saying Jeremiah. Some of them don't really know. They're just saying one of the prophets. I mean, they know there's something about you, Jesus. It's unique and different. And that's just kind of what's being said. By the way, I'll just say, no matter where you are this morning, I think the fundamental question of life for you to answer at some point is, who is Jesus Christ? Ultimately, how you answer that question determines everything for you. So Jesus then turns the tables on him a little bit. And he says, okay, verse 15, all right, guys, who do you say that I am? And the you here is plural. It's you all in East Tennessee. Who, who, do, who do you all say that I am? And it's interesting, if you study the New Testament and you read along, you know, the one guy that usually said the wrong thing at the wrong time and put his foot in his mouth a whole lot was Peter, right? I mean, I just could connect with Peter. Some of you just love Peter. Peter was a guy that usually got it wrong with what came out of his mouth. But Peter here steps up as the spokesman for the group, and man, he nails it. And he says, Jesus, verse 16, you are the Christ You are the Messiah. You are the promised one. The one that all the Old Testament prophecies point to. All of history points to you. You are the fulfillment of everything. You are the Messiah, the promised one. You are the son of the living God. Unique one. Never one like you in all of history. The son of God. And I got to think the other disciples that were looking at other go, Peter said that? Good job, Peter. Wow. Now, you would think Jesus comes back and says, Peter, you are the smartest of all the disciples. You, you figure that one out, Peter. You've been studying. Man. You've been doing your homework. You, you nailed it. That's not what Jesus says. Okay, he says, verse 17, he says, And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Peter. You're blessed, Peter. Why are you blessed, Simon of Barjona, as he calls him? Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. In other words, Peter, sorry to tell you, but your smarts didn't come up with this one about who I am. This was, end of the verse, my Father who is in heaven revealed this to you. In other words, what Peter has just experienced is the... God the Father has opened his eyes to see Jesus for who Jesus really is. The word reveal here means to uncover. It means to make known. It means the idea of revealing something that was before not clear. He said, my Father has revealed this to you. Peter had just spoken a revelation from the very mouth of God regarding who Jesus was. Jesus, you, rev- you are the revelation of God. You are making God known. You are the Son of God. Now, here's the application for us. Watch this. All right. Let me ask you a question. How does Jesus build his church? Now, when I say that, I want you to be real careful. Don't think mortars and brick and institution and all that. How does Jesus, who is is building his church, how does he do it? And he's going to answer this question very specifically here. And when I say church, don't think about somebody else necessarily. Think about, yes, God's people, but think about you and me. We are the church. How does Jesus grow us and build us? How does he build this thing called the church? And look what Jesus says here. He answers it. And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. Now stop right there. 
Jesus said, something that's just happened here, Peter, is how I'm going to build my church. It's how I'm going to grow my church. It's how I'm going to grow my people. It's how I'm going to mature my people. It's how I'm going to build this thing called the church. You say, okay, what is it? And he says, upon this rock. What rock? Well, some people want to say, well, the rock was Peter. That that Peter becomes the, the rock upon which the church is built. And we simply know that that's not the case at all. Because if that was the case, somebody better tell Peter. Because he never claimed that. The rest of the New Testament certainly didn't claim that. So what is the rock that you and I grow from, that Jesus builds his church? Jesus said, upon this big foundation rock, I will build my church. And here's the answer. Here's where we're going this morning. Right here, based on what Peter says, what Jesus says, the rock upon which Jesus builds his church is not Peter, but the revelation of himself from, the very, from his very mouth, his word. God builds his church through the revelation of himself to us. And right there, standing in front of Peter, Peter realizes, wait a minute, God has made himself known. He's revealed himself. And here he is, the Word walking around with flesh. The Word made flesh. Jesus right there. And upon Jesus and his Word and the revelation of God, I'll build my church. You say, yeah, I get that. I agree with that. I see that problem. Here we are 2,000 years later and Jesus is not walking around in our midst. And some of us tend to think, and I guarantee many of you in this room have thought this, man, If I could only live in the day when Jesus actually walked on the earth and the Word made flesh was walking around, man, I could go to Jesus and I could hear how to grow and I could go to Jesus and understand who God is and I would be able to walk with Jesus. If I could only live in that day, then I'd be so much better Christian than I am today, if you will. Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, that's not the case at all. Now watch this. 2,000 years after... Jesus Christ literally walked on the earth. Jesus said, you and I, as his disciples today, have it better than when they literally walked with Jesus back then. What? Jesus said in John 16, he said, it is better that I go away so the Spirit will come. We have the very Spirit of Jesus within us. Peter said in 1 Peter uh, chapter Second uh, Peter chapter 1 said, You have it better in the sense that you have now not the living word located in a specific space and time. You have the written word, the revelation of God, the true living word of God that is a clear revelation of who God is. And the point for you and me this morning as we talk about how do we fight against this constant drift in our lives. Jesus said, listen, I'm going to build you. I'm going to grow you. I'm going to build my church through my living word that I have entrusted to you. You have been given the revelation of God. Watch this. You say, yeah, Pastor Mike, I believe the Bible. I think the Bible is good. It's it's a big deal. I want you to listen to something. This is a bold statement. The written record of God's revelation given to us, the Bible, the Scriptures, is just as authoritative, it's just as clear a picture of who God is than if Jesus were literally walking amongst us in the flesh. In fact, you have the complete living revelation of God of who God is and it's been entrusted to you 
And Jesus says, listen, you want to know how you're going to grow? And you want to know how I'm going to build my church? I build my church on what has been given to you from God, His revelation. Now, that's important for us. That's important for us as a church, and that's important for us as individuals who are, who are wanting to press against this drifting, and we're wanting to say, okay, are we focused on the things that matter most? Are we becoming more and more and more like the Son of God, like Jesus? Are we growing? Is there this hunger in our lives for Christ's likeness in our lives and in the lives of others? So if we believe Jesus grows his church through his word, that means two things for us very quickly. And then our elders are going to come and we're going to talk this out a little bit this morning. First is this, for us as a church, our mission or what matters most is simply what's clearly given in scripture. We're going to build our church and build our lives around what God has called us to in this book. Let me give you some illustrations of that as a church. We we hold out what we call our five core practices. It's just rails. When we talk about mission, we have, we have five rails that we want to pursue. Let me just give you just a few of these come straight out of Scripture. John 15, Jesus says, abide in me. If you abide in me and I abide in you, man, my word is abiding in you, you will be bearing much fruit. You'll be overflowing with joy. God will be glorified out of this abiding relationship with the Lord Jesus. That's why we continue to say, listen, the most important thing in your life Everything you do, everything you're going to become will flow out of your dynamic, growing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in His Word and in pursuit of Him. We're going to continue to hold that out. Are we pursuing that as a church? Jesus says this also. He says in John 13, He says, He goes on, He said, This is my commandment that you love one another. In other words, one of the ways we grow and one of the things that Jesus says is how I'm going to grow my church is as God's people are loving one another and serving one another and connected to one another and challenging and admonishing and encouraging and building up relationships. That's vital for us. That's why we continue to hold that out. Jesus says, I'm going to grow my church. Matthew 28, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Great Commission, which means... Things like personal evangelism. Th things where we realize, listen, if we're going to grow as a church and we're going to reach people as a church, each one of us have a responsibility to be sharing this message of who Jesus Christ is. We're going to continue to pursue that as a church. Those are some missional rails that we want to continue to run on. Why? Because the mission of the church has already been given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ right here in His Word. Second thing with that is a little more personal for you and me, maybe individually, is this. Peter, understanding, I, I think, all this, and I, I'm going to ask Daniel and Paul if you guys just come on down. We're going to go ahead and get set up for our elder conversation a little bit. Peter, understand what I'm getting ready to say is this. First Peter chapter 2, he says, as newborn babes, like a baby, right? Baby screams for milk, says, I've got to have more milk, I've got to have milk. Peter says, his newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. It's a little bit of a challenge, and this is going to kind of lead us into our conversation this morning. Is that yearning present in your life and my life? And we're pursuing these rails as a church that we think cause growth in our lives and for your joy and for your flourishing challenge for me and you is I don't want to be content in this drifting. Man, is there this hunger for more in my life? 
This hunger for God's word to, to be more Christ-like, or am I content? So this morning we're going to talk about that a little bit. And I've asked these two guys to join me up on stage. And you know these guys. You get to hear from them a lot from time to time as they teach God's Word. And they lead us as fellow elders of this church. And, and I want you to, they get a little nervous on stage. So just to make them feel a little bit better, would you welcome Pastor Daniel and Pastor Paul to be here with us this morning for a few minutes. And here's the way we want this to go this morning. We, instead of, you know, one person maybe just talk, we want to discuss some things that we we see in our church where we are in a healthy pursuit, and we want to discuss some things where we, we want more, and we want to continue to grow, and hopefully this will be challenging and encouraging to you, and, and we want to try to make this a dialogue. So this is one of the things, it's not really scripted, we're not exactly sure how this goes, but we want it to be helpful and challenging for you. So first thing we want to get at is this, guys, where are some areas that you all would identify? And we'll just talk this through, that we as a church You'd say we do see advancing, and, and we're growing over the past few years, and we want to continue to press on, but what are some of those things that you would identify? Either one of you want to take that? Yeah, I will, and um, you know, one of the things that I love what you're talking about is the pursuit, and so when we talk about areas that we're advancing, things to celebrate, we're not celebrating an arrival or an achievement, we're celebrating a pursuit of something that God calls us to through his word and I think that's so important because it's easy for us and for me in particular you're talking about mission and vision to get caught up on making the vision our mission you know whether that's a program or a person or a style of doing church or worship or all those things that can become so important to us instead of the mission and so when we celebrate we're celebrating the pursuit of what matters most and it makes me think about first corinthians 9 when the Apostle Paul talks about how he's running a race and disciplining his body, he is pursuing something, he's fighting for something, um, and he says, I do that unless I might become disqualified. And uh, I don't know about, about you all, but if the Apostle Paul is afraid of being disqualified, then I, I need to worry about, you know, is there things in my life that could cause me to be disqualified in, in the race? And the way that we don't become disqualified is that pursuit. So, things that we can say, man, we see that advancing, we see that growing awareness. There's a lot. My wife and I have been here for five and a half years. I'm just so thankful to see the progression of things that are happening in our church, things like uh, a pursuit and a love and a growing just desire to be a people of the word, like you were mm -hmm. talking about. Yeah. So things really practically like study groups where, you know, we want to put really good men and women who love and know the word, and we as a church are gathering corporately in this room, but even in those settings, to begin pursuing a depth and understanding. That's huge. Things like our cohort, where it's a seminary training uh, opportunity that our church has, where men and women, like anybody in this room, say, I want to know this word more. I want to know this word better. I want to be able to teach. I want to be able to help other people see. And that pray that becomes more and more the norm, that we're not satisfied with just kind of a, a light understanding of God's word, but we recognize we need and want more of that. Uh, the family discipleship plan, it is a pursuit of the word to the family. And so yeah. there's a mom that uh, went uh, began it this past fall, and she's in a study group now, and the reason she's in the study group now, she said, as I begin trying to hold these things out to my kids, to the family discipleship plan, I begin to realize how much of the Bible I don't know. Yeah. And so I need to know more. And so that awareness has pushed her 
It's a pursuit. Yeah. That's what I want for my family. The more, as a pastor, as I have a seminary degree, the more I get in God's Word, the more I understand I don't know. Yeah. The further I am away from God than I thought I was. And so it's that pursuit. So that's one of the things for me. Yeah, I'm just going to ping off that and say that I, I love the idea of pursuit. We've not arrived. And a place that I see some great progress in the life of our church, I'll be honest, I'm a part of a life group. Uh, I love my life group, uh, Chad Limeberry. I don't know if he's here. He, he, uh, he leads our life group. But even in that discussion in our life group where we're investing in one another, you see progress and you see a pursuit. You've got, uh, you've got guys in there, and, and I don't know if they're here, but a guy like Kevin Allison who's there, and he is pursuing, by being challenged and spurred on, the discipleship of his kids through the family discipleship plan. He admits, man, I'm struggling, I'm trying to grow in that, but you see the conversation and the struggle and the awareness that, you know what, discipleship is to begin at home, and I really don't know how to do it real well, but I want to learn, and our church has this, this holistic strategy, it's not a perfect strategy, but man, it's a good pursuit, and, and to be encouraged in that and build up in that, and families and parents talking about their struggles and their victories, but man, we are going to... We're going to disciple our kids. I love to see that happening in, the, in, our, in our study group. And then real quick, another thing, or in our life group, a few weeks ago we were talking about personal evangelism. It, it comes up every week. Man, are you praying for your three names? And coming out of the message last week that we heard, it was challenging to say, this is hard. You know, it's not always easy that the responsibility to share the gospel is on me. That's, that's, that's scary. And but we're pursuing that as a church, and we're growing in that. And I think the culture of our church is, is developing in that. There's an awareness. Man, if I'm a part of this church, I want to be challenged to share the gospel and to make disciples. And I'm going to learn how to do it well. Yeah, another story with that, too. I was in Discover Tri-Cities a couple of weeks ago. And after it was over, I had a lady come up to us and just say, um, I am terrified to share my faith but I know I need to. I, I want to, but I'm scared to death. You know, can you help me? And it's like, I'm right there. Like, I feel the same thing. But I loved is that tension, that desire, that awareness that she's becoming a part of a church family. She knows that this is a calling that we're to pursue. And she wants to do that. She's just wrestling through the tensions of that. Yeah. But the pursuit is there. Yeah. I'll give you one more example. I'm going to cut you off. No, it's okay. <laughs> one of the things I love about our church that I see growing and developing is we have a desire when we gather as God's people for the Word of God to be taught and preached, regardless of who's doing it. Meaning we don't have a, an affinity, oh, well, if Pastor Mike's not preaching, then I'm just not going, even though he's much better looking than these guys. But the point is, it, the hunger is not for a particular style or a, right? Or <laughs> not for, but wait, listen. Wait, wait. Again, some people <laughs> prefer a big bone pastor. <laughs> big just bone pastor, whatever. I don't even know what that means. I got your back, Paul. I don't even know what that means. The point is, that's a growth because we hunger for God's word, not a person. Yeah, and that, we're healthier in that. I love, I love the awareness that is developing that you get to see in the people. And that's what you're talking about. And, and it will get weepy if we think about it. But that awareness creates in us just tensions. I mean, it really creates tensions. And um, whether that's the awareness of, man, sharing the gospel and that uncomfortableness yeah. that you're talking about. Um, I, I mean, I think of that even in the way we hold up abide. We talk about abide a lot at our church. And it's the recognition that we have a position in Jesus and that our life is pursuing him. And everything else is an overflow out of that. Yeah. 
But that creates tensions. I, I, I'll just be honest, five years ago when I come to Tri-Cities Baptist Church, it wouldn't be completely uncommon um, to see this elevated view of leadership that somehow I went from, you know, I'm, a, I'm involved in church and worship, but then I've become a leader, so that's what I do. And I just want you to know that that's not the way it should work. I mean, you, you shouldn't be able to serve and only come to worship a few times a year. Gathering for worship with your church is a biblical mandate. For example, our preschool ministry is not. Our kids' ministry is not. Think about this with my own daughter. I have a six-year-old. She has great group leaders. I'm so thankful for the, the, the group leaders yeah. she has investing in them. Imagine if they just said, man, I serve. This is what I do. I do this other thing, but I, I don't... I don't I don't gather to worship with the church. Do you understand? I could never look at my daughter and say, be imitators of them. I couldn't say that because they have an unhealthy practice of service and really a low view of how abiding works. And what's happened is by us beginning to hold those things up, it's creating real tensions in us. And I love that. I love that awareness. I'll never forget, first time I show up, I'm here maybe a month. I mean, I'm so green, I'm new, and I'm, I'm in this Sunday school class, right? And uh, the truth is, man, they are just letting me have it. I mean, it's, it's fair, it's out of concern, it's not mean-spirited, but, man, they're letting me have it. You know, Mike doesn't, you know, Mike doesn't wear a suit as much as he should. You know, the coffee's too cold, the music's too loud, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> and so we're in that setting, and this guy looks at me, he says, you know, how old are you anyway? I thought our elders should be older. And I just took that as a compliment and think, he thinks I'm pretty young. That's good. Um, big bone. Yeah, big, big, big bone young man. I'm okay with that. And so um, it dawned on me as I looked around at the room, the rest of the room's kind of in agreement. And so quickly I just said, okay, I got a question. Who was the first pastor in the church of Jerusalem? And somebody said, James. Oh, that's pretty good. I said, no, James was the younger or older brother of Jesus. And they said, younger. And I felt, yes, we believe in the virgin birth. That's good. Okay, we can rally around that. And I said, well, okay, how old was Jesus when he died? And then how old does that make James when he's pastoring that church? And that man looked back at me, and honestly, here's what he said. I didn't need a Bible lesson. The truth is, he did, and we all do. We all do, because of that drift. And what happens in us is when we have the truth proclaimed to us, the awareness and the tension begins to work in us. That's called conviction. That's a good thing. We come around one another as brothers and sisters in love, and we grow. I love that I get to see that in your lives. I love that I get to see that in my brothers who serve alongside of me in Shepherd. That, to me, is the thing I look back on and say, man, over the last five years, we've seen God grow us to the point that we have tensions and we wrestle with some of our traditions and some of our weaknesses and we're pushed to share the gospel. One just real quick personal example, even personal evangelism, which we just came out of. You know, as an elder, I'll stand accountable for the shepherding this church. I'm part of that. I'll stand before God in that. And one of the things that hit me is if at the end of the year we have 100 people who we baptize and celebrate salvation, but 98% of our people never shared the gospel that year, never proclaimed the good news of Christ and challenged the person that they live next to, they work with, the person in their family, and all that just happened because kind of we worked around you. I don't think I'm going to stand before God and God go, good job, Daniel, I'm glad we got those 100 people. I think he's going to say, why have you not shepherded and called and created that tension? I love that I'm a part of a church that would stir us to be uncomfortable 
and raise that awareness that would challenge us to grow. Yeah. That's what a blessing that is. And I love that I get to see us walk through that and God do that work in our lives. That's just a huge I think win. that's called discipleship. I think so. Yeah. One of the things that's really cool for our church too, I'll just say this, is uh, you may not know, but 95% of churches in America never multiply, meaning they never give birth to another church. They serve maybe one generation and then, then they go away. All churches have a lifespan. Uh, we've been a part of seeing a church that multiplies here, and that's a joy. We've been able to see a new church planted in Portland. We're about ready to send out Derek and Kayla Scherfe that's going to plant our second church. We're so excited about that. And we've multiplied what God does here through a campus in Johnson City, one church, two locations. The point, the purpose of that campus was this. If you're a part of Tri-Cities Baptist Church, but you live and you work and you play in Johnson City, you'd say, that's my home then we want to be able to create an, an opportunity for you able to reach, reach more people because you worship in Johnson City. In other words, the campus is for people who are part of Tri-Cities that call Johnson City home. That's the mission of that campus, and we want to continue and really do a better job of saying, listen, if you're on mission and you're, you're trying to reach people, I mean, you can do it better by calling Johnson City your campus home and reaching people where you live, work, and play. Now, to continue to align those campuses, is something that's going to be different in the next few weeks. Uh, March 26th, coming up in just a few weeks, we're shifting the service time of the Johnson City campus away from the morning so we can have three services of Tri-Cities Baptist Church, and it'll be at 5 p.m. Uh, on Sunday, and that's when the Johnson City campus will have their main worship service. And for many of you, again, need to hear a challenge to say, because I want to reach people where I live, work, and play, I might need to make Johnson City Campus my church home. But that's cool that we get to be part of a church that's multiplying, and that's an overflow of abiding and personal evangelism and those other things. Uh, let me shift the conversation just a little bit. Uh, man, we've got a lot to celebrate as a church. And I love what you said about looking in the faces of our people and even my life too, and that we're seeing growth. We want that. What are some things that you would say that we need to hear that I need to hear, that we've been talking about, our elders pray and talk about stumbling blocks. Maybe areas where we're drifting and uh, that we're content with the drift. And we don't want that. That we've got to realize, okay, we're not aligning with what God's word says. Maybe we're not pursuing because we want the joy for our people. Identify some of those areas. Either one of you? Yeah, I, I, the, the more I study, the more I read scripture, the more I just fall in love with the, the apostle Paul. I mean, Paul's a good guy too, but the, the Apostle Paul, I mean, I can identify him with him in so many ways. I mean, he's rough around the edges. He's not very eloquent. He's random. See? He's probably I, big bone. I, he may be big boned. I mean, I, those things help endear me to him. I don't know that those are the traits in which he meant be an imitator of me, but I try. The truth is, in his teaching, I so connect and rally around with some of the things he says and am challenged. Again, I know that's the Word of God and it's inspired. In Philippians, there's this great contrast very quickly and kind of in that random Paul sort of way. In Philippians chapter 3 and really into chapter 2 as well, I mean, Paul's writing and he's saying, man, I press on. In chapter 3, he says, I press on to make it my own. He says, forgetting what lies behind, I'm straining forward. Then in the very next chapter, Paul says, I'm content. I'm content. He says, listen, I, I'm not speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
That seems like complete, like, Paul, what are you talking about? First, you're straining, you're pressing, you're pursuing. Man, and then you're saying, oh, I'm content. Mm. The subject is what matters. In Philippians chapter 4, he's talking about his worldly circumstances. He goes on, he says, I know how to be brought low, how to abound in, in every circumstance. He's talking about the clothes on his back, the food that he eats, the house that he lives in. He's talking about this worldly stuff, and in that, he says, I'm content. But in Philippians chapter 3, he begins in verse 10, he says, that I may know him, Jesus, that I may know him, that I may be like Christ. This is what he strives for. This is what he strains to reach. And I think we have that backwards in our culture. I think we are content in our Christ-likeness. I think we're content in our faith, and I think we press on toward our worldly comfort and those circumstances, and I think that messes with us in all kinds of ways. And ways that, like, for example, like the way we manage our time, you know, everybody in here is going to say, man, I'm so busy. I am too. The truth is, if we really look at our life and we're really honest and we hold up Scripture as the lens to see, we will see we are much more busy about the pursuit of those worldly things than we are those godly things in that pursuit to be more like Jesus. And as a result, we don't have the time to study and to pursue and to hold those things out. And so what we do is we create a culture that oppresses ourselves and one another. We create a culture of oppression. And it works in our defensiveness. And anybody who's ever had kids knows how that works. And it's just universal. It's everybody. Mom, I'm not just saying this about you. But we know, right? That's My mom's in the room, so I've got to be careful. We know if we have kids, we, we parent them. And sometimes we'll choose to do something different than our parents did. And if your parents around, they see that, goes, well, did you not like what, the way I parented you? Right? It's that defensiveness in that. We all feel that. Every grandparent recognizes that. I can see your heads nodding. We do the same thing in the faith. Oh, what I did isn't good enough? Where I'm at is not good enough? There's a defensiveness to that. Let me give you one practical example just to kind of, you can see how it works out. There's a, a, a lady in our church. I know she was asked to go speak to a group of ladies. She goes, she was asked to speak on pursuing God's word. And the core of her message was, listen, you're not going to gain a deep understanding of who God is You're not going to lead God into your home and see your marriage radically change if all you're doing is reading five minutes of your favorite daily devotional. The Jesus calling is not going to change your life. It's just not. Oswald Chambers is not just going to change your life. It's not. Instead, you need to pursue God. You need to get up early and give hour, give to, study, buy a concordance, buy a study Bible, figure out how those things come together, and study God's Word and pursue it like it's a treasure. The lady who's overseeing the group comes up after her, and she says, now listen, I know there's some of you guys who are here, and you're busy, life's hard, and you're just thinking, how can I give five minutes? And I want you to know if, if you can just give five minutes, look, God will honor your faithfulness in just giving five minutes. Just start where you can. Now listen, the truth is that lady thinks she's doing something to help them. She thinks she's helping them get a start. I think she was robbing those women. I think she was speaking a message completely different than Jesus when he said, no, give me your whole life. A disciple lays down his life and follows me. And so I think that dynamic creates in us a culture 
in which we oppress those who push us, who teach us, who lead us, who come alongside in genuine love and challenge us to grow, and we excuse those people as radical. And we miss the benefit in their life, and we create a culture of oppression that excuses others from that same pursuit. I think that's a major thing for us. There's some more, but I'll, I'll let you have a, have a shot here. Yeah, I think um, root level going right along with that, that oppressive culture that um, focusing more, pursuing more of the things of the world and pursuing the things of Christ. I think in my life, a couple roots, uh, I think one ultimately is just selfishness. We tend to be, because of our sin, just selfish people. And so we make pursuit of the word, pursuit of God's people and investment in the church and mission and evangelism, all those things, they're a priority when it's convenient, but they're not the priority. Uh, and so we put the things that, that just selfishly we care more about, whether that's our career, whether that's about our kids' sports, whether that's you know, all kinds of things, we will put those things over really what matters most. And so I think really doing some introspection in the heart and say, why am I not longing for that more? Why am I not longing for pursue the word? And so, you know, practically that fleshes itself out in so many different ways. But one of the really practical ways is we see the church as something that uh, we get something from, not that we give something to. So I come to church for what I can get out of it. And so when it's convenient, I go. Or I go to the life group when it makes me feel good or because it gives me friendships or whatever those things are. And when it's inconvenient, I don't go. And the problem with that is we're putting me, us, at the center instead of God at the center. And that's sin, right? Like ultimately that, that is what sin is. And so I, I just pray we'd be a church that really looks at ourselves and say, am I loving God most and am I loving others out of that love and pursuit of him and so things like you know I don't go to my life group just because I have friendships there or so I can just let it be a therapy session where I share some things I'm dealing with and people can pray for me I go to my life group not for what I can get but what I can give like I love my brothers and sisters in Christ enough whether I get anything out of it I don't care I'm going to invest I'm going to serve I'm going to love and a willingness to speak hard truth out of love so when Jesus says a new commandment I give you uh, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Think about the selfless sacrifice of Jesus. That's the way we're called to love the one another's who are the body of Christ. Not those outside, we're to love them too, but ultimately it's talking about inside. You know, so in Colossians 1.28, he says, we teach everyone, we warn everyone, we admonish everyone. Who are the everyones? It's us. So we're called to warn. Warn of what? Sin. Are you close enough in other brothers, sisters' lives to be able to say, I see what could be sin there? And I'm going to warn you of that, or I'm going to admonish you. I'm going to speak truth into your life. We need that from one another. And so I think selfishness and ultimately the other root is just a lack of the, the gospel really changing us. You know. And so you were talking about willingness to go to the Johnson City campus versus the Gray campus. The reason why we maybe wouldn't go to another campus or we would parent and not think about sending our kids to an unsafe place, a mission field, or going to Portland on a church plant it's ultimately because the gospel and what Jesus has done for us hasn't captured our hearts. Mm. What's captured our affections is something much less. Yeah. And then in order to feel better about ourselves, we create the oppressive culture. We make the radical people within our church seem weird or abnormal, when in fact normal is just loving God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength. Yeah, that's good. So let me try to bring all this together. 
to take what you said, to take what you said, somebody were to ask me and say, okay, what, what's the, maybe not the main stumbling block, but a big one, and what are you praying for our church in 2017? I've had this on my mind for weeks and weeks, and especially out of Matthew 16, is I think that we, we starting with me, we would have a high view of the church. You know, I read this in Matthew 16, it's what Jesus is building not the structures, not, not church corporate per se, but the people. And, and we're getting ready to study a series through the book of Acts where it was very clear. Those people had such a high view of the church. It says they devoted themselves to one another. And maybe to push back even the cultural understanding of, we, we say this a lot. You know, yeah, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and I'm good. Yeah, we do have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ if you're born again. But listen, you're born again into God's family as well. And God has designed that we grow, and God has designed that we flourish, and we're discipled, and we disciple others within being a dynamic, vital part of a church family, not spectators. And having a view of God's people and a love of the church, man, I want that. Because that's where we flourish, and that's where we thrive, and that's where Jesus is glorified, and where he carries out his mission. I want that for us, and I want that for you. So I think uh, any closing thoughts, either one of you guys, we're short on time. Go ahead. Yeah, I just, you know, what you're saying, the goal is not salvation. The goal is Christ-likeness. Yeah. Salvation is the way we enter into that. One day glorification, we get to be with Jesus. And we want people to be saved, but it's that becoming that pursuit. And so I would just encourage everyone here, and, and I'll just admit, just sin in my own life a lot of times when it comes to stuff like this, is I'll sit in a room like this and think about, Oh, I'm glad this person was here to hear this, or I wish that person was here to hear that. I a lot of times don't go to, God, what are you trying to tell me? Yeah. So Psalm 37, 4 says, when you delight yourself in the law of the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. And that doesn't mean if I read the Bible and I want a Porsche, God's going to give me a Porsche, right? What it means is, as I delight myself in this word that you were talking about, my desires begin to change. And so... If my desires aren't changing, it's because Jesus isn't my treasure. It's because I'm not delighting. So again, that, that drift, that being where we are, there should be a constant pursuit, a constant conviction of that becoming like Christ. I, I need that. I need people, the family, to help me in that. Yeah, amen. That's good. Well, let's try to wrap up this time like this. Appreciate your all's patience. Hopefully it was helpful for you and challenging for you here, guys, that are part of this church family and love this church family want to continue to see us grow. But I want to end with just a passage of Scripture. I'm just going to read this over you, kind of pray this over you. Our team's going to come on up, and we're going to uh, read this. And I'm going to give you a time of just reflection, really, on your own after I read this to say, okay, just like exactly what Paul said, God, is there something in this today that you're calling me to repent of or to confess or to celebrate or a step of obedience? Lord, what are you what are you calling me to this morning? So here's what Philippians 2, Philippians 2, Daniel referred to it earlier, the Apostle Paul, and he says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind, I reach forward, I'm, I'm straining, there's this, there's this discontent with where I am in Christ because I want to be so much more like Christ. I want to, be, I want to know that joy of Christ. I want to live on mission with Christ. I'm reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I think what we're asking and calling all of us to is that desire, I want to press on. 
I don't want to be content with a drift. I don't want to be content where we are. I want to continue to pursue the joy that's found in Jesus, the meaning and the purpose that's found in Jesus. Don't be content where you are. Be content with what God's given us. I'm content with what's on my back. I'm content with the things he's given me. But I'm not content where I am. I am pressing on. And watch this. I'm not content where my brothers and sisters are because I want more for them. And I'm going to encourage and challenge and pray for and build up and invest my life in the lives of my brothers and sisters so that we can press on together toward Christ-likeness. So why don't you bow your head for just a second and give you a moment there and trust that maybe the Spirit of God has spoken something into your heart through his word, through one of your elders speaking something this morning. I just want you to do business with God right there in your seat and respond. Obedience, confession, thanksgiving, praise, whatever it may be. Take a moment right there in your seat with just your head bowed. Do business with the Lord Jesus. Are you pressing on? Are you desiring more? Father, I want to pray for my church family. God, I want to say thank you for these brothers and sisters in this room that sharpen me and build me up and encourage me and speak truth into my life and love me and my family. And Lord, I thank you for this body of believers. And God, I pray that we flourish as we hold to the Word of God, as we love and are devoted to one another, and we grow in Christ-likeness for your glory pray that for myself and I pray that for the men and women the students the boys and girls in this room we love you we thank you in Jesus name we pray